May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It will not be a surprise to you to hear me say that we live in a very noisy world. There are lots of noises around us all the time. Babies crying and children fighting, dogs barking, the aged coughing, just noise after noise after noise. Buses going down the street and garbage trucks coming and picking up garbage. Um, beyond that, we have things like television and radios, some people still have radios, and com- computers and, and all the things that sort of produce noise. They, they have political opponents debating and fighting and preachers preaching and singers singing and all the different noises that come from these, um, these electronic uh, gadgets that we have. We live in a very, very noisy world. Twice in the last decade, um, I took a week out and, um, and traveled to Kentucky, to Bardstown, Kentucky, and spent a week um, with the Trappist monks uh, at the Abbey of Gethsemane Monastery. The Trappists do not take vows of silence, but they practice a very um, efficient economy of words. Don't speak any unnecessary words. At, at the dinner tables, they have little signs that say, silence is spoken here. Uh, if you're walking down the halls and you see a, a, one of the monks, they'll drop their gaze from you lest you give them pleasantries like, hello, how are you doing, or, or just the simple things that people say to one another. They think and they believe that, I- that if, you, if you maintain silence, that your thoughts come into, come into focus a little more clearly and that you can actually be more attuned to the voice of God. And so they're very careful about the silence that they keep. I want you to imagine going a week without saying anything to anyone. The only time you speak is when you would gather in the nave of the church to chant psalms like we did today, to say prayers, to sing hymns. If you think fasting food is difficult, (laughs) try fasting your words. No hellos or goodbyes, I love you, how are you, none of that at all. Not even what time is supper or, um, you know, uh, did you watch the game yesterday? None of that at all. After about 24 hours of this, it began to really annoy me. You know, at first I was okay, but, but about 24 hours, I'm looking for a monk to ask a question I know, already know the answer to. Like, which way to the library? I had already discovered the library. Or which way to the gift shop, you know? They would tell you if you asked them, you know, down the hall to the right, whatever. I wanted to ask somebody something. I wanted to say something to somebody. But then something happened about day three, I think, or so. The silence settled in. It was no longer uncomfortable. In fact, it was beautiful. And I began to understand what it was that the monks had discovered and that that, there is something very calm and very... Uh, pleasant about silence, that, that your thought, thoughts really do begin to align and that you really are much more attuned to the voice of God, I began to really enjoy the silence. I think there's a point where I get to the end of my enjoyment and want to re-engage um, with conversation, and that's okay. But there's something good about silence. And this is the sort of retreat that Jesus takes. He doesn't go to a monastery. He goes to the desert. He goes out into the desert to be alone, to be quiet. And all the noises that would have been present in his world are gone. There's no more market, you know. There's no more hammering of nails, something he probably heard quite a bit of. 
There are no Roman soldiers barking orders. There are no fishermen telling dirty jokes. It's this quiet silence out in the wilderness all by himself. Maybe, um, maybe on occasion you like to take hikes. I don't know. Some of you might. We have a great national park here with all sorts of trails all through it. And, um, and Abby and I love to do hikes in there and to, to go hike, take in the, especially even in the winter. We'll go in the winter time when there's a, a fresh layer of snow. And the snow works like a, like an insulating barrier. You can hardly hear any of the sounds that you normally hear in, of nature in, in the, the, the park. We'll, we'll cut Lucy loose from the, the, the lead and off she runs into the snow and usually comes back, you know, sometimes chases deer or whatever she does. But it, it's a great time and, and it gets, it's really quiet and it's, it's a lovely, uh, uh retreat. I, I remember a few students of mine coming from, um, from the Columbus area, they came back, former students, uh, and spent a, a, a few days with us. They had heard about this famous hiker who was going to be giving a lecture at the Happy Days Lodge, and so they wanted to come and hear the, the, the speaker talk and, and then, you know, hang out with us. And so we got pizza and, and hung out, and they told us all about the, 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 the adventures that this guy had told them about. It seems that he had uh, hiked the, the entire Appalachian Trail, the Pacific, Pacific uh, Rim Trail, I think is what it's called, and this uh, trail that goes 4,000 miles into Alaska. Alaska. And that the guy was going like for months and months at a time and all by himself out hiking. He's, he's out in the wilderness with nothing, no one to talk to except maybe a grizzly bear or a moose or a caribou or whatever else happens to be out there. And I thought, well, you know, that might be a little bit more than I can handle. You know, I think, I think that pushes the limit of my, um, my extreme. I'm not going to go that far. But that was Jesus' experience. Way out in the wilderness. No one to talk to, no one close, except maybe wild animals. No one to speak to and no one speaking to him. Just silence. Oh, yeah, no sleeping bag, no backpack, and no food for a month either. Suddenly, the, 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 the retreat that Jesus takes is quite a bit different than the ones that most of us would do. And if you were listening close to the story, Jesus going out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, if you were really attuned to Scripture, you would say, that reminds me of something. That reminds me of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. That reminds me of the time that that the people of God came out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness. Israel was in the wilderness. Jesus is there for 40 days. They were there for 40 years. But, but the echoes are, are, are intentional. When we think of Israel, most of us think geography. We think of this country that is in the southeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea uh, or coast. And it's not in the sea. It's on the coast of the sea. Uh, there's this, there's this uh, small little country just north of Africa in the place we call the Middle East. That's not what the Bible means by Israel. Israel's a people. Israel was a person himself. Israel's name was Jacob, and it was changed to Israel by God. And so when, when, when the Bible speaks of Israel, it speaks of the descendants of Israel. Israel was the grandson of Abraham. These are God's people. What, what Moses says, God's segulah, his special treasure. Jesus and Israel, they, their, their stories are sort of lining up. But you remember what happens with Israel in the desert for 40 years. They're stiff-necked, God says. They're disobedient. They don't keep faithful. And in fact, the entire Old Testament is the story of God trying to rescue the world 
through the people of Israel, but they won't allow it to happen. They keep refusing to be obedient. Jesus, then, is the obedient Israel. He is the one who does what is right. He he fulfills all righteousness. And he does this in the same sort of manner that they fail. He goes into the wilderness, and guess who meets him in the wilderness? The only voice that does speak to him, out of all the silence, there's a voice that comes to him. And guess what that voice is? Diablos, the devil. The devil meets him in the wilderness. After fasting for 40 days and and he's famished, the text says, the devil shows up. The word Diablos is an interesting word. One who separates. This is what the devil wants to do. He wants to separate Jesus from the Father. If you command these stones to become bread, you won't be hungry anymore. Just say the word. Command these stones to become bread. It's a, it's a reasonable uh, thing to, to think, right? You've been on a diet before. I know you have. All of us have been on a diet before. We have fasted something. You ever give up chocolate for Lent in the very first day afterward? Thursday after Ash Wednesday, you know what happens. Somebody brings all these chocolate donuts into work, don't they? You're like, oh, man, it's been a whole 18 hours since I've had chocolate. And, and here, there they are right in front of me, chocolate donuts. Imagine no food for a month. All you have to do is say the word, all the food you want. Jesus is starving, and the option to provide for himself is right there. Just do it. Just take care of yourself. Self-reliance, the essence of the very first temptation that he faces. The second, throw yourself down from this high pinnacle. And remember, the, the, Psalm 91, God promises you will not dash your foot against the stone. It's right there. Just, just take him on. A, let, let's try it out. See how it works. Put the Lord to the test. See if he's really who he says he is. You know, this is it. these temptations are all in Genesis 3, too. Did you hear them? Did the Lord really say, you shall not eat of any tree? You know, did he really say this? This is what the serpent says to the woman. And she quickly defends, oh, no, no, no. Jesus doesn't defend God at all, does he? He simply says, don't test him. And then the third temptation All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You can have everything. You don't have to go to the cross. I know where you're heading. I know where you're going. You don't have to go there. There's another, there's a shortcut. I love shortcuts. Um, I shouldn't tell you this. This is is a side. This costs you nothing extra. Um, But in in my hometown, my mother, like, almost refuses to ride with me because she thinks that I drive on every back road in the city. You know, like, how do you go all of these roads? Like, why don't you just go down the main roads? And I say, because I like to take a shortcut. I know the shortcuts. Um, Here's the devil's offer to Jesus. There's a shortcut. It doesn't involve the cross. Take autonomy. You decide. You become the law. See, in the day that you eat of it, the Lord knows your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to do it. As I look through this passage, there are a lot of things that trouble me about it. Maybe they don't trouble you, but they trouble me. Um, the first thing is not that the devil is a tempter. He, he, this is what he does, right? This is his job throughout Scripture to tempt people. 
I'm not bothered by Jesus' 40-day wanderings in the, in the wilderness and his, um, his lack of food. I, I'm not bothered by a lot of that. What bothers me is, um, is I'm bothered by silence. I'm bothered by the silence of God. All the noise stops and you get one voice. And what's that one voice? Diablos. Satan. He's the one voice that speaks. The one voice that comes to Jesus. Do this, do this, do that. He's the one who shows up and attacks God's credibility. He's the one who shows up and says, hey, take the easier route. Why doesn't God speak up? Why doesn't he defend himself? Why doesn't he show up and say, hey, you, rascal, get out of here. Leave him alone. He's... He's a, he's, he's doing what's right. Leave him alone. Get away from him. Back off. Where is God in the midst of the attack? Jesus is vulnerable. He's at his most vulnerable state and he's all alone. There's no other voice to speak in this situation. And maybe, just maybe, on a time or two, you've wondered, Where is God in my situation? Why doesn't he speak up? Why is he silent? Doesn't he know that I'm at my most vulnerable? I'm at my weakest state? I'm in in a place where I can ill afford this kind of battle? Why doesn't he speak up? Why doesn't he say something? And why hasn't he said something in, in big times in the world? Earthquakes and tsunamis, famine and war. Where is God when the Holocaust was going on? Where is God when Stalin was murdering millions and millions of people? Where is God at Katrina or in Syria right now? In the Sudan? In places where people are dying? Why is he silent? They just speak up, say something. Jesus says... He is and he has. He has spoken. What's he say every time? It is written. It is. It's what's called a perfect tense in Greek. It means it happened in the past and it's still happening in the, in the present moment. It has happened in the past and it's still happening. It is written. It has been written. It is written for now and forever. God is not silent. He is speaking and he has spoken. And, and, and that's why Jesus said, you, it's, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because it's continually coming. When we read Scripture, what do we say? Every time when we read Scripture in church, the word of the Lord, he is speaking. The gospel of the Lord, he is speaking. And the only way that we know this is when we start hiding it inside of us. When we read it and meditate and, and live through it. We know Psalms. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He has spoken. He is speaking. The question is, what are we listening to? 
Are we listening to all the noise around us? Are we listening to the word of the Lord that comes to us? I heard this fellow speak one time, um, and he was talking about being in an airplane. His friend owned a, owned a little plane, and, um, and he took him up in it. And it was his first time in a small aircraft like this. And they were flying um, into, you know, nice sunny skies. It was a beautiful day. He said, and all of a sudden the weather changed. Like in an instant, clouds rolled in. And they're in the airplane, and this fellow who was speaking says, you know, at first it was just a little bit kind of fun, weird, a little whatever. But then I suddenly lost all sense of orientation. I felt like, you know, I, I really can't tell up or down this way or that. He said, in fact, I, I thought at times that the plane was tilted one way or the other, like we were leaning. He said, and then I got to be feeling like we were going to nosedive straight into the ground. And he said, I began to tell the pilot, you need to pull the plane up. I, we're going down. I can feel we're going down. Please pull. And he said, I, I turned into a full-fledged panic attack. Pull the plane up. We really are going to crash. And the pilot said to him, what you're experiencing is called vertigo. That when you can't see around, your body starts to send, receive different mixed messages. And every pilot who learns to fly has to go through this. There's a time when you just have to trust the instruments. Look, right here on the dash. See, this one says that we're level. And this one tells us our altitude. And this one tells us which direction we're going. You know, whatever else they tell you. You have to watch the instruments. To pay attention to the instruments. You cannot rely on your feelings. The devil is a master deceiver. St. Peter says he, he walks around seeking whom he might devour. Like a roaring lion, he goes around seeking whom he might devour. And his one task is to separate us from God. He makes so much noise. And if we listen to him, we'll miss the one voice that matters because God is not silent. He is speaking. He has spoken. He is speaking. We just have to listen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.